You know, I guess I think I've always been a professional critic, you know, or some sort of professional appreciator or something. This is serious business here, man. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Lucinda Williams has traveled a hard road to success. But as she tells us on her 10th album, she's blessed. I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. And I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. Lucinda Williams plays some new and not yet released songs live in our studio. Plus, we review the debut album from soulful pop duo Ride. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You are listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Greg, I know you've heard that song. Love it. That is Harlem Shake by the Brooklyn DJ and producer Bauer. The song is not as important as the dance craze that is sweeping the globe, literally. People all over the place are doing this dance. They're filming it for YouTube, taping it for YouTube. Somebody gets up and begins to dance, and he or she is doing it alone, and you think they're losing it. And then all of a sudden, at a certain point in the mix of that song, everybody in the room gets up and does it kind of silly, but it means different things in different places. Some of them very significant. In Egypt, we have the nascent pro-democracy movement fighting the reigning Muslim Brotherhood. You have young university students taking this dance to the streets and, and staging it in front of the headquarters of the Muslim Brotherhood. One young college student, Farid Syed, has said, we are sending a certain message. Our revolutionary struggle will continue, and we will continue to be creative and sarcastic. Wow, that's pretty heavy. That's not just goofing around. Even more significantly, in Tunisia, you have young people doing the same as they are fighting the hardcore Islamists who are struggling to rule that country in the wake of a power vacuum caused by an assassination. Students taking to the streets and in some cases causing riots by doing this dance, people heavily opposing it because it isn't just goofing around to them. It's a political statement. It strikes me as going back to the earliest days of rock and roll in this this country when Blackboard Jungle was showing on movie theater screens and, and riots were being started by kids hearing rock around the clock. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that is Seeing Black, a song from the latest album by Lucinda Williams, Blessed. For an artist who's built a career on songs about love, loss, and liquor, the title is an uplifting one. 
perhaps referring to her 2009 marriage to manager Tom Overby. Or maybe she's just looking back at a very lucky career. For almost four decades, Lucinda Williams has been writing and performing music without ever really fitting into any music industry niche. During that time, she has moved cities almost as many times as she has switched between labels. She's released 10 studio albums, sometimes waiting years in between. And this may be why she's earned a rep for being a difficult perfectionist. But it's also why her loyal fans, critics and audiences alike, have stuck with her for so long. They know that one thing remains consistent, those amazing songs. She isn't a conventional singer, but she has a knack for words that she may have inherited from her father, the poet Miller Williams. In fact, Greg, I remember a lot of critics hailing her as the female Bob Dylan. An oversimplification, to be sure, but as we learned during our conversation with Lucinda one recent afternoon, Dylan is a good place to start. Lucinda, let's start with uh, you're 12 years old. <laughs> let's go back in time. You're yeah. going way back, huh? It, you know, I, I talked to you about this before, but I didn't realize that Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited came out that year, and that yeah. was, that was, that was the, the album for you. And, and I was actually in Louisiana in Baton Rouge, to be specific. Okay. My dad was teaching at LSU at the time, and one of his students brought it over to the house. And that's how a lot of times I would get turned on to stuff was from the 20-something-year-olds who were in college discovering all this cool stuff. You used to laugh about everybody that was hanging out. Now you don't talk so loud. Now you don't seem so proud. I put, I threw it on the stereo and listened to it and, whoa. What was the context for it? I mean, did you have a context to... to, Because I remember hearing that song four or five years later, like a Rolling Stone Mm -hmm. on, you know, some top 500 countdown on Memorial Day weekend. I'm going, this sounds different than all the other songs that are on here. Yeah. So what was your context for... Well, the thing is, my context was, you know, came from having been listening to Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, a lot of the traditional folk stuff. And then being around poets, to me, that's what was on that album. It was just kind of came, to, the two worlds came together. Did it drive you to start writing songs? It was at the point where you... I was already, you know, kind of had my foot in the door, but that's when I decided that's the kind of stuff I want to be able to write. It's quite a measuring stick. So, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. your early it's teens. It's good to have that, though, you know, I mean... I just wanted to be able to write really good lyrics. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my goal. Born and raised in Pineola, his mama believed in the Pentecost. She got the preacher to say some words so his soul would be lost. 
Well, your father, Miller Williams, was obviously, uh, you know, he's a renowned poet now. I don't know how you perceived him then. Was was it like Dad's this really important poet, or, you know, what was your perception of yeah, his work I mean, at that point? I was real, always real proud of him, and but he was my dad at the end of the day. He was very, you know, politically very open and all that, you know, socially and politically, but he was still, you know, somewhat of a disciplinarian, you know. Mm-hmm. Things like, um, I think I loaned some of his books or some books to a friend who hadn't returned them. So my dad, you know, sat down and he would kind of lecture, whereas the other kids just got yelled and screamed at. And, (laughs) you know, sometimes I wished my dad was more like that, you know, but he would get very serious and, you know, look me in the eyes and say, do you understand how disappointed I am, <laughs> you know, and I would say yes, and he would say no, I don't think you do. <laughs> he can be pretty serious. Well, the whole notion that you, you had this poet in the house and you said lyrics were important to you. Yeah. Was it, was it daunting, writing a song that your dad would hear and go, well, you know, honey, those lyrics are, are fine, but really, No, because that's how, <laughs> that, I asked him, you know, that's what I wanted from him. It ended up being sort of an apprenticeship he was my mentor, so it was kind of a, I was really fortunate because it was kind of like a built-in creative writing course. Mm. I would show him my stuff, and he would make suggestions, and, you know, over time, I, that's how I learned. Was there a point where you felt like you, you had written a song that you yourself thought was pretty good? Well, I mean, it changed over the years, you know, because I have those songs on that Happy Woman Blues album that some of which now I go back and listen to and they seem a little kind of young and it's not something I would write now but at the time you know I felt pretty good about them I've been high my heart in a trunk Can you come see me when my ship has sunk You can give me loving that I can refuse And love is the one thing that's sure But I think it was really around the time that I was writing those songs, that the ones that ended up being on the self-titled Rough Trade album. And then that album came out, and I started getting the positive critical acclaim, and that's when I went, wow, okay, I can do this. You wait in the car on the side of the road Let me go There was a huge gap between those first two albums. Ramblin' mm-hmm. came out in 79, Happy Woman Blues in 1980. Right. I would think that for a lot of artists, it would have ended at that point where, <laughs> like, nothing else was coming well, in, right, that's in the terms thing. of the deal. I mean, I was still, I was constantly doing stuff. And it was different back then because we didn't have the Internet and YouTube and all of that. So 
It was just about going out, playing in the little coffee houses and bars. And, you know, there was I had a great support group around me at that time during the 70s and part of the 80s. Um, Because I was in Texas. I was in Austin and Houston back and forth. You started out kind of pretty much busking, right? Or playing wherever you could play in New Orleans. wherever I could play. Right. And then it went New Orleans to Austin, Houston. With a little bit of California thrown in. (laughs) It's a whole lot of living at that point. Two albums come out of it for uh, Smithsonian Folkways. Ramblin', which you mentioned, Happy Woman Blues. I think mm-hmm. before we jump to Rough Trade, <laughs> which is where things really start that's to get unpredictable. Well, that's where, but what I was going to say was in before the Rough Trade album, you know, I was playing and, and very active and and all of that, you know. Just, yeah. And then I moved to Los Angeles in late 84 and started getting interest from different record labels and that sort of thing. But at the time, the market was really, there was no Americana. There was no alternative country. You weren't um, fit. There was no alternative any anything. It was yeah. just basically that's what they kept telling me was I fell through the cracks between mm. country and rock. So it took a long time to get a record deal. Well, before we get further into those albums, uh, how about a song? What are you going to okay. play for us? I was thinking, how about a little bit of Born to Be Loved? This is kind of early for us. So. <laughs> <laughs> Three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
Beloved by Lucinda Williams on guitar. We have Doug Pettibone. Where did that come from? How, how did that song come together? Well, I'm usually, you know, just different just different thoughts come into my head. Of course, there's the song that Ray Charles made famous, you know, Born to Lose. Mm-hmm. There's the book that Woody Guthrie wrote, Born to Win. So I was trying to, it's kind of a play basically on kind of the Born to, you know, Born to Lose. Yeah. And then Lady Gaga ripped you off and did Born This Way, <laughs> of course. Obviously heavily influenced by Lucinda's uh, songwriting. Oh, come on. get a cut of those royalties. <laughs> or, walk this way. There, there you go. Talk There's this that. way. Yeah. We'll continue our conversation with Lucinda Williams after a quick break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And later, Electro Soul with an androgynous twist. We review the latest from Rye. You look like a little kid with bruises on your knees. You will never come to the damage that's been done. You will never stop because it's too much fun. Bye. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and you've been listening to our conversation with Lucinda Williams, who's in our studio with veteran guitarist Doug Pettibone. Lucinda Williams has been the subject of cultish adoration for many years now, but as she discusses with us, it took Lucinda quite a bit of time to really break through from working musician to respected artist. I mean, she's been singing and writing music since the late 70s, but her sound never really fit in. She wasn't country enough, she wasn't rock enough, she wasn't folk enough, didn't fit neatly into any of those genres. Then, she caught the attention of that British label, Rough Trade, which historically has been a home to punk bands. But her 1988 self-titled release on that label, even though it didn't make a lot of mainstream waves, it caught the attention of fellow musicians and critics, including us. I remember giving it four stars and thinking, wow, this, this artist has really arrived. A couple of releases and labels later, Lucinda released Car Wheels on a Gravel Road in 1998, and that earned her a Grammy Award in the top spot on the Village Boys Paz and Jop poll. Now, Jim, at that point, it seems as if something was brewing, not only with Lucinda, but in the culture around her. You started hearing terms like alternative country and Americana, and the industry was a little friendlier to people like Lucinda Williams and the style of music she was playing. So we asked her if she was sensing a shift. I wasn't really conscious of it at the time, but right around the time this happened, there were some women artists who had been discovered, like Suzanne Vega and Tracy Chapman. There seemed to be this kind of, some kind of movement where they were starting to pay attention more to women songwriters. Well, I remember when that record came out, and, and, and there were a lot of people talking about that record. I'm not sure how it did in terms of mm-hmm. radio exposure or anything. I can't imagine it did a lot in terms of that. But, uh, you know, I remember artists talking about it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, a new artist who got a lot of money from Columbia, Mary Chapin Carpenter. That was gonna, she was the other one I was going to say, yeah. Covers that passionate kisses. Right. And was that out of the blue for you? It was like, why that song? And boy, all of a sudden it's a hit and it's a 1994 right. Grammy winner for Song of the Year. And, Country Song of the yeah. Year, which is so ironic. In 1990, I think it was 91, I toured with with Mary Chapin Carpenter and Roseanne Cash in Australia. So we got, and Chapin and I got to know each other on that tour, and she had already been performing Passionate Kisses live, and her fans loved it. And she said she was getting ready to make this new album, and she wanted to record that song, and, you know, she wanted my blessing. And I said, of course, that would be incredible. And so she cut it, and but the funny thing is her label people 
didn't want, she wanted to release it as the first single. And they said, no, it's not country enough. <laughs> and she said, well, I don't care what you say. And she had a lot of leverage. So, you know, she held her own and she said, this is the song I want to come out. It's perfect. Do I want too much? Am I going overboard to want that touch? But did you start to feel like maybe there is a place for me after all? Did you feel in some ways validated? Because you've been doing this for a long time at that point without a hell of a lot of reward. Well, I felt validated when the Rough Trade album came out and all the critical claims started rolling in and where has she been all this time, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. And Rough Trade was, I mean, they were a true indie label. They They were great. They sent me over to Europe to tour. I mean, you know, they put everything they had into, into it. So so the yeah. accolades that really begin to pour in with Sweet Old World and Car Wheels on the Gravel Road, it was all that foundation, that rough trade. Yeah. And really. That's when I got discovered, yeah. really. Yeah. Those next two albums, Lucinda, obviously so many of your fans love that period. Um, do you feel special about that era of 92, 98 yeah. Those two records, do they hold up that way for you, or is it people reading it? Yeah, them? no, yeah, they do. Car Wheels has also become something of a, of an albatross. I mean, this is where you get this reputation yeah. because it was several years in the making. It went through several incarnations, different versions recorded. All right, this is where you become the difficult artist, mm-hmm. the perfectionist. Never mind that in the last decade you've released what five records, right? That's, that's a well, record every two years, pretty much. Well, there's a simple explanation for the delay there. All these labels were falling apart right and left. It was a period of time when people were getting laid off from labels. People were leaving on their own from labels and starting up another label. I mean, I went through. That's why there was that inconsistency, because I went from Rough Trade to uh, Bob Buziak, who's this great guy, signed me to RCA Records, and he was like one of the cool major label guys, which is the only reason I went there. And in the middle of everything, before I even put the album out, which would have been Sweet Old World, he left. And then all the cool people left with him. <laughs> so then I didn't want to be there anymore. So I wanted to leave. So I followed him to Chameleon Records. And then Chameleon folded. Electra put out Sweet Old World. And then from that, I went to Rick Rubin, who was was going to put Carwills out, but then he started having label problems, and Carwills was actually in the can for an entire year. So that's what that's all. Yeah, you know, and I mean that, that took up a lot of time. A significant number of our listeners, you know, never lived in an era where that music would have been available on the net as soon as you wanted to put it out there. Mm-hmm. And maybe before you wanted to put it out there. But there was no option like that back then. Right. Once Lost Highway was established and, you know, that provided a home, that's why there's the, the regular output. No more wandering. Yeah, of <laughs> albums, yeah. 
Well, Lucinda, you are here with guitarist Doug Pettibone in the Sound Opinion Studios. Could we hear another song? Okay. I have this new song called When I Look at the World. It's going to be on the next album. Shut out. I've had some bad dreams. I've been filled with regret. I made a mess of things. I've been a total wreck. I've been disrespected. Been taken for a ride. I've been rejected and had my patience tried. Still, I look at the and all his glory, I look at the world And it's a different story Each time I look at the world and I've been left behind I've been misunderstood I've been out of my mind and not feeling good I've been used And I've been blue I've been abused I've been lied to I've been double-crossed I've been put down I've been lost And I've never been found Still I look at the and all his glory, I look at the world And it's a different story each time I look at the world And all his glory, I look at the world And it's a different story each time I look at the world Time I look at the When I look at the world from Lucinda Williams on Sound Opinions with Doug Pettibone on guitar. Beautiful song from a forthcoming album, it sounds yes. like. Yes. Wow, that's exciting news. It is exciting. And <laughs> we're uh, my contract is up with Lost Highway, and, and they've kind of moved on or shifted things or something. I mean, all on good terms. So uh, we're shopping around. So this is going to come out on LucindaWilliams.com and, uh, as, a, as a download. <laughs> yeah. Gravel Road Records. Yeah, there you go. Well, you never know. I mean, it worked for Radiohead. It can work for Lucinda Williams. Why not? Yeah. 
It's interesting. We were just talking about Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, which came out in 98, and and the record industry was riding high at that point. Yeah. I mean, it didn't look like anything was going to slow this train down. But mm-hmm. you, you know, you were one of the good stories, one of the feel-good stories then, because people were rooting for you, yeah. and here it is, 20 years I in. I know. You had, you had the record that made the, made the Grammys, you know. I've had some really good luck, yeah. I've had a good group of people behind me. I had a great family of people at Lost Highway. I mean, I think it it certainly didn't hurt that I had this pretty solid fan base from way back, you know, on the, in the Folkways days. Mm-hmm. And they followed me. Mm. So that critical mm. and fan shorthand, uh, Lucinda, that the last couple of albums in particular have been your happy records. It's as oh, much to no. do... Well, you, you, you hear it all the time, right? You, you must read that all the time. Yeah, and it's just really silly. Well, I know, you know, we heard Born because to be Loved. It's not exactly like a feel-good, happy... Because I married Tom, and so now these are my happy albums. Yeah. Well, your husband, Tom, well, you got married on stage at First Avenue. Know. You know, it was in Minneapolis. But I'm still, a, you know, I still have... I'm still, you know, that same person. I mean... Right. But where I was going is as much okay. as, as Tom is a great part of your life, and that's one reason to be happy, mm-hmm. uh, not having to shift labels every five minutes <laughs> for a decade is another reason. Right. But, I mean, you know, I've been getting asked these silly questions like, you know, well, now that you've found true love, what are you going to write about? <laughs> yeah, people mm-hmm. – yeah, I, I have been hearing that question. It seems like you get asked it in every interview. And I'm going to try to avoid it here, but – uh, it, it is. It, it does seem like the one thing that I've noticed about the songs, and especially in this period, the post-Car Wheels period of, mm-hmm. of albums, if anything else, you're, you're holding even less back. I mean, not that you were holding stuff back before, yeah. but it seems like the, there's even more vulnerability there. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if success enabled you to feel the freedom to do that, or was it just a process of just maturing as a person? I don't know. That's a good question, and I'm not really sure. I think it's more the process of maturing, feeling a little braver. Um, I mean, that really started with the Essence album. took a chance with that one because you know it was right after car wheels and you know it could have been the sophomore jinx kind of thing i think i heard the word steamy used in regards to a few songs on that record yeah (laughs) and you know was it during this period writing songs did you feel like oh i'm almost you know maybe i shouldn't say that or i've gone a little too far because i'm i feel i'm a true artist and that's what art is supposed to be about Gross, then you just keep moving forward. I am waiting on your back steps. I am waiting in my car. I am waiting at this bar. I am waiting for your Maybe because I grew up around writers, poets, and novelists, and it never occurs to them to slow down, or just because they're getting older and 
It doesn't matter whether they're married and have kids. I mean, they're writers first and foremost. Well, I wonder, I think you're getting at the whole idea of self-censorship. And, you you know, was your father at all an influence in that? And, like, you know, if if it feels a little... Too, like you're going too far, it's probably the right thing then for you to write. Yeah. Well, he always, the, one of the rules he said about writing was, was never to censor yourself, you know. Um, and you just have to know where that line is. I mean, I, I like pushing people's buttons. I enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. I was always a rebel. I like to try to do it but still be, you know, tasteful about it. I want people to be moved, you know, and kind of... Um, you know, we should just, perhaps note that Lucinda is wearing a skull cap uh, <laughs> with a skull on it. <laughs> and I noticed when uh, you were Lucinda was saying, "I like to push people's buttons." There was a, I couldn't help but notice that Doug Pettibone <laughs> over here was there was a little smile that crept across his face as, as <laughs> Lucinda sure was saying that. <laughs> yes, you're listening to Sound Opinions. We're here with uh, Lucinda Williams and Doug Pettibone. Uh, Lucinda, have you got another song for us? Okay. Um, let's see. Why don't we do uh, something wicked? Yeah. You want to do that one since we went over it a little bit? Um, this is another new one. Excellent. It's going to be featured in this new show called Nashville. Um, T-Bone Burnett is doing the music for it, along with Buddy Miller. The older singer... Connie Britton, Connie Britton yeah, yeah. is going to be doing my songs. Oh, that's cool. I think there's yeah. a little bit of, of a lot of you in the yeah, Connie Britton character. You know, I really identify with her. Tom and I watched the first season of Friday Night Lights, mm-hmm. which we went back and discovered. We hadn't seen yeah. it before. And we just fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just fell in love with the all, several of the characters, but especially Connie Britton. It's glad then you notice the all of Boston wife. all over. You know, they, they're filming it all over yeah, Boston. Yeah, right. Yep. QB1. Yep. I learned a lot about football watching that show. <laughs> Get her done. So now I can kind of. Yeah, because Tom's a big football fan, so I try to, to learn about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is called Something Wicked This Way Comes. Of course, I b- borrowed the title from. Uh, Ray Bradbury, and uh, then discovered that it's actually a Shakespeare line. Something where this way comes the likes of which you've never known Hellfire and brimstone Something wicked this way comes Is high underneath the grass Beneath your feet and the moss upon the stone Something wicked this way comes No love as he, he will show you no mercy. He will make you his home. Something wicked this way comes. Something wicked this way 
to come in and drink with him. You won't leave you alone. Something wicked this way comes. You will fall from grace, and you may never see his face. He was cast out of heaven. Something wicked this way comes. Something wicked this way comes. The likes of which you never known. Hellfire, a brimstone. Something wicked this way comes. Something wicked this way comes. Something wicked this way comes. Something wicked. Something Wicked This Way Comes. New song from Lucinda Williams, Doug Pettibone. Boy, that was, uh, that's cool to hear. Thank you. We want to thank Lucinda Williams for being our guest on Sound Opinions. Lucinda, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, but first, we want to hear from you. Lucinda Williams told us her goal has always been to write really good lyrics. What about you? How important are lyrics to a song? What makes good lyrics? Share your thoughts at 888-859-1800. Coming up, we review new music from the unconventional pop duo, Rye. You think you're in hot demand, but you don't know where to put your
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that's a track called The Fall from the band Rye and its debut album, Woman. Who is Rye? Well, that was a subject of some speculation over the last year. The group intentionally kept an extremely low profile. So if you first hear that voice, some people actually speculate, well, that's a woman singing. Reviewers actually wrote that in their critiques of some of Rye's early music. But in the last couple of months, it's been revealed that, in fact, Rye is a male duo. One, Michael Malosh, he's the lead singer, a Canadian electronic musician, and Robin Hannibal, an electronic producer from Denmark. Malosh has been making music since the age of three. I mean, he was a classically trained cello player, signed with the Los Angeles-based label Plug in 2003, and released a couple of solo records under the name Malosh. Meanwhile, Hannibal in Denmark was in a duo, Quadron, that was basically an electronic soul duo, released an album in 2009. The two musicians heard each other's music, decided to meet in Los Angeles to see what might come about, ended up recording an entire album together under the Rye moniker. And here it is, called Woman. The track we're going to play is called Open from Rye on Sound Opinions. Stay open. Ooh, stay open. 
That was Open from Woman, the album by Rye that is getting so much attention. And yes, Greg, it is mind-blowing. You know, I'm tempted to say this is Charday for hipsters or Cassandra Wilson for people who would never listen to her. But that's Short Cells, Rye. This is truly a beautiful, beautiful album. And I'm only moderately freaked out about how sexy I find those vocals, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as a heterosexual male, okay? I think the gender bending really adds a fascinating layer to things here. And the fact that they called this album Woman, they're obviously playing with that. But what it's about is obsessive love of any sort. If you look at a song like Shed Some Blood, we've shed some tears, babe. Let's shed some blood. This is about going deep, head over heels. Yet at the same time, the music is always very, very cool. One of the things that I've always loved about Charday, and you and I reviewed her last album, we loved it, is how hot and heavy the lyrical themes of love and obsession and sexuality are, and yet the music is so cool, and those vocals are so cool. And you have it here in that same way, but almost with the intensity of those lyrics even turned up a bit. You know, I think that Milosh is singing some things Sade never would, much less Cassandra Wilson. So we have this hot and cool mix. We have this slightly harrowing lyrical mix along with the beautiful sounds, the sexual identity confusion. There are so many things happening here that keep you coming back and back. And yet at the same time, you can also just put this on during a quiet romantic dinner and share it with your partner and enjoy it. It can be listened on so many levels. Uh, I love this record. Woman is definitely a buy it for me. Yeah, Jim, my only concern is that I might be writing this album so highly right now. I'm just totally in love with it. I hope I continue to feel the same way about it six months from now, but I think it's just an amazing album. It's almost perfect in some ways. I think it's only going to get steamier as the weather gets warmer. Beautifully sequenced song cycle, and what I love about it is the level of restraint and yet directness in his voice and what he's singing about. He's singing about love and lust, and yes, it is a sexy album. With the flame turned down low, you know, he's still leaving something to the imagination. You know, it's not all laid out there. So you're documenting the stages of a love affair. He's obviously uh, deeply involved with somebody. Each song is like a little snapshot of this affair. Not only his voice as an instrument, but the way the other instruments, the strings, the Mm. horns, the keyboards, the guitars, the way they're arrayed as well, each note counts. There doesn't seem to be a wasted note here. When you think of this so-called quiet storm style, you know, and Chardet was a, a big exemplar of that in the 80s when she started out. You know, you associate certain sonic signifiers with that. You know, you've got to have those unctuous saxophones in the background. <laughs> the tingly and, piano. Yeah, and the gooey keyboard. There's none of that here. There's none of those cliches that you associate with this sound in this music. So, you know, I'm thinking of a song like Verse where you get the sound of dripping water Mm -hmm. as percussion. And on the title song, all he's doing basically is repeating the word woman over and over again until it just becomes pure sound. Sometimes words completely fail, Malash is saying. Sometimes it's just this beautiful sound that we're making as human beings.
perfect album in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm really tempted to say that they couldn't have done this in any way better. It's you're definitely not gonna, a buy-in. You're not going to hear in, in March say this is the album of the year, are you? You know, it's right now it's at the top of the list, i got to tell you. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have an in-depth interview with David Bowie's producer, Tony Visconti. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, and Annie Minoff. Our hardworking intern for these past couple of months has been Griffin Waterman. We bid him farewell and good luck. And our executive producer and fearless leader is Tori Southside Malatia. Had to phone you, had to phone you just to talk to you. Had to phone you just to tell you I was missing you. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Kenny Meyer from Palm Desert, California, calling about your Buried Treasure episode. Wanted to bring up the Oscar-winning documentary, Searching for a Sugar Man. Just saw it yesterday, and it was a great movie, and I really responded positively to the music of Rodriguez that was featured in the movie. Um, and I think it'd make a great candidate for buried treasure recently unearthed. Sugar man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes. For a blue coin, won't you bring back all those colors to my dreams? Apparently, this guy sold zero records in the United States, but if you've seen the movie, you know he became a huge sensation in South Africa and was only recently rediscovered. So just wanted to know what you guys thought about uh, Rodriguez's music and what kind of impact you think it could have had on the American musical landscape. All right, guys. Thanks for the great show. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Jason calling from Deerfield, Illinois. When I heard last week you guys are going to do a show about music from Sweden, I got very excited because I thought, this is my chance to finally hear them talk about bands that I listen to. So I was very pleased to hear Greg's mention of Opeth. I also want to tell you about another Swedish band that's a favorite of mine, Pain of Salvation. They've been around for a while now. The frontman, Daniel Gildenlow, has a four-octave range. They have excellent musicianship across all the instruments they play. And they really take the album as a unit of music rather than a song. If you listen to an album like Perfect Element Part 1, you'll see these musical themes and melodies that show up in a song and then come back later in the album. But I know you well. I and they continue to evolve and change uh, as the album goes on and it, it turns it into a really great experience overall hey gentlemen this is larry from seattle i just finished listening to the first stop on your world tour the show in sweden great show but uh I think one missing band that would really add to the diverse sounds that come out of the country is a hardcore punk rock band called Refuse. Their seminal album, The Shape of Punk to Come, from the first song to the last, just one hard-hitting track after another. I got it one big 
shredding guitars, amazing drum sound, and really cogent political vocals and lyrics. I think I should add them to the list. Hi, this is Vicki and my husband, John. We're listening to your Swedish show today, and you didn't mention soundtrack of our lives. I mean, it's the most incredible band ever. They, you know, they cover everything. We saw them live here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and there were 30 people in the audience, <laughs> but they were great. They were wonderful. People really missed out. So, Soundtrack of Our Lives rock. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.